the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The Penguins stink. Fire the coach. Yeah, I just figured I should get that out of the way early because that's what a lot of people, maybe most people, are talking about today around here. The Penguins lost to the Islanders last night in Game 1, even though nobody was expecting a Penguins sweep. All it takes is a loss, in that first, especially in that first game, to get people to panic. And there's some panic out there. It's got to be at least uh, five or six games. It's going to be uh, that many games, so people really might want to calm down. And, of course, if they lose tomorrow night, then on, uh, well, then on Monday, I guess. Well, no, it'll, it'll be three games by then. I, I, if they lose tomorrow, or I'm sorry, tomorrow night, then over the weekend you can declare the series over. They have no chance to win. That'll be what most people will be saying and what, how they're choking and all that stuff. Uh, but uh, we can declare the series over then, and then we start talking about other things like, you know, should Mike Sullivan be fired or be on the hot seat? Uh, anyway, on to other things. It was a bad day for Julian Assange. He was dragged out of the Ecuadorian embassy in London in handcuffs today. It's not a good day for you. He's in jail. And in a few uh, minutes, we will talk to a writer who's been following this and find out what it means and whether anybody should care. Uh, and a little later on, we're going to talk to a guy who's in the Vatican covering the Pope. Actually, from Italy, we'll be talking to somebody. And the Pope has a problem no other Pope, this Pope has a problem that no other Pope has had for 800 years. And that's a former Pope who's still alive and talking to the media. Now, I don't know if the former Pope 800 years ago, I don't know who that is, and I don't know if he was talking to the media, but if he was, it probably didn't get the coverage that former Pope Benedict has gotten, um, and it's a letter that he put out, and it's all about uh, clergy abuse and who's to blame. Most of those subjects are a big jump from hockey. Uh, both of those subjects are a big jump from hockey, but uh, those are the two big stories out there today, unless you count the usual stupid things being said by Alexandria overrated Cortez and the Democratic candidates for president, the usual stuff's out there. We'll get to that in a a minute, but I wanted to say that I'm told we are back on Twitter. You can see me on Twitter. If you're watching on Twitter, how are you doing? Uh, At Steigerworld, you can find me, and it's obvious that I just scared Twitter into fixing it. I mentioned yesterday that we've been having trouble getting on, and um, they're terrified of me, uh, of my power that I have with this radio show, and they fixed it. Either that or Aaron's really smart, the producer, and she figured it out. Uh, but it's it's up there on Twitter. You can follow me at Steiger World, and you can watch right here live. And, on, and it's also on YouTube. You can find it on YouTube. Just search The Answer Pittsburgh uh, on YouTube, and you can watch it there, too. Uh, because why, how could you possibly pass up the opportunity to see me and instead of just being satisfied with hearing my wonderful voice. So here I am on Twitter. Good to be back, and that'll teach Twitter to mess with me. We'll be right back. If you're an employer, a business owner, if you have five to 100 employees, listen up. The cost of doing business continues to skyrocket, strangling your HR department with more regulations, administrative duties, and liability than ever. I'm John Steigerwald. Your health plan's a big part of that cost. Another year, another 10% rate hike, another $1,000 increase on your deductible, another hospital or doctor you can't go to because they're not in the network. Isn't it time for a change? Well, stop the insanity and call Marley Financial, the most innovative agency in the industry. Put an end to the annual increase. Give your employees a national network that all hospitals accept and reduce your monthly premiums by 20 to 30%. It doesn't matter when your renewal is. Marley can help today. Call 724-884-1496. Marley Financial, 724-884-1496. 
724-884-1496. Have you heard the crack of the bat, the cheers of the crowd? Have you seen the smiles on the faces of the players as they take the field? I'm not talking about the Pirates. I'm talking about what's happening in Moon Township that can only be described as a miracle. This is John Stagerwald. With the help of Pirates Charities and people like yourself, the Miracle League of Moon Township has broken ground on a brand new ball field and adaptive playground where athletes with special needs can play regardless of their ability. At miraclesinmoon.org, you can see these stunning plans for the 9,500-square-foot playground and state-of-the-art ADA-compliant restroom facility with showers, wave technology, multi-level fountains and sinks, mechanical changing tables, and more. It's incredible. Our goal? To raise the remaining funds they need to bring it home by first pitch this September. Check it out at miraclesinmoon.org slash donate and make your tax-deductible gift today. That's miraclesinmoon.org slash donate. This message paid for by Robinson Town Center, a Zamias Properties entity. Are you about to pay double for roof replacement or repair? If you haven't called Windows or Us, you just might. Many companies are overcharging area homes and businesses nearly double. With over 50 years in home remodeling, Windows R Us is more than a window company. They're the area's premier exterior replacement company for siding, doors, gutters, downspouts, and roof replacement and repair. Factory certified by North America's largest roof manufacturer, Windows R Us will never overcharge. You'll love their no-pressure sales approach, straightforward pricing, and the fastest turnaround in the business. Right now, get zero interest for 12 months on a to $20,000. Windows R Us will match any competitor's price. No hidden fees or surprises ever. Schedule a free roof inspection today. Mention AM 1250 for an exclusive 10% off. Why pay double? Visit the area's premier exterior replacement company. Windows R Us, more than a window company. Visit windowsrspittsburgh.com. Relief Factor is made from high-quality fish oil and essential nutrients. Gives your body the help it needs to aid fighting recurring aches and pains. When life's aches and pains get you down, you need relief. Physicians made Relief Factor as an essential way to support the body's fight against aches and pains. It's a remarkable product. It has worked. I only endorse it because it helped my wife with her knee pain. I didn't even know she was taking it. Then when it was mentioned, she said, oh yeah, this stuff is is like magic. Look, there are people who've told me they've postponed or delayed or simply negated surgery because of Relief Factor. That's how powerful it is. Go to www.relieffactor.com, that's relieffactor.com, or call 800-500-8384, that's 800-500-8384. This remarkable product is called Relief Factor, relieffactor.com. This is the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250, The Answer. Well, Julian Assange finally got out of the Ecuadorian embassy in London. He'd been there since 2012 and had never left. That's the good news for him. Bad news is that he's now in a jail cell and maybe one for at least another four or five years. He was dragged out of the embassy in handcuffs today. David Harsanyi is a senior editor at The Federalist. He's here to tell us what all of this means. Thanks for being here, David. That's oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. So um, I'm, I'm glad I have someone here because, uh, I mean, I sort of understand what's going on here, but uh, I think you have a better idea of what this is all about and uh, can tell us. So how big of a deal is him finally losing asylum? Well, it's a, it's a very big deal for him. I yeah, think. Uh, <laughs> yeah. He's going to be coming over here and, uh, you know, for, for the initial indictment, is about conspiracy to um, a conspiracy to uh, to, to basically hack into secret documents and then disseminate them. Um, I think that that might just be, as from, from lawyers that I trust, that might just be sort of a stand-in indictment. There'll be much more specific things coming down the line. And I guess the big debate will be, uh, is he just a publisher, you know, or is this a matter of free speech, or is he someone who engaged in, in, in espionage and spying, and, and what's the difference between those things? Yeah, so I think the, the, the debate is more actually more important than him actually being here or not, in my opinion. Right, uh, and that's what you write about in your piece. Um, so what happens next, I guess, uh, he's, he's going to be extradited. I, I wonder, I, I don't know if you know how long of a process that might be before we see him uh, frog-walked somewhere in the United States. <laughs> 
I don't know, honestly. I think yeah. it, it generally it wouldn't be a very long process because there, obviously this negotiation has probably been going on behind the scenes for a pretty long time. It just doesn't happen, you know what I mean? So mm-hmm. uh, I think everything's probably sort of set in, into place. So uh, I, as you said, I guess this, the question is, is this guy uh, an heroic whistleblower or is he a dangerous spy? Definitely don't think he's heroic um, for many reasons. So I'm very sympathetic to arguments about free speech and, and really allowing there to be whistleblowers and allowing there to be transparency in government organizations. The problem for him, at least if we read the indictment, uh, and if you agree with what I just said, the problem for him is that he actually participated or tried to or conspired to participate in hacking into uh, computers and it's, you know, uh, and, and, and taking top secret information and disseminating it. My problem with him personally is I think he's just an anti-American who, who's not equally concerned about governments everywhere and just trying to embarrass the United States and hurt the United States. So for me, on a personal level, I, I dislike him and, and, and all that. I just want to make sure that the government here is doing, you know, the right thing. We're not just, you know, being oppressors of some guy who's trying to, you know, give whistleblowers a sort of platform. Did, did he have a special problem with the United States or all governments, uh, uh, or has he changed his story on that, or will he change his story on that? You know, I, I don't know. I think initially he probably was more of a person who was idealistic. But the fact of the matter is, uh, in uh, right during the election, someone you know he was sent a large cache of potential Russian uh-huh. uh, information, and he refused to publish it. So that, to me, says. He's not equally uh, concerned about all governments, especially ones that are, you know, somewhat more authoritarian than we are, like Russia. Yeah, and I'm. Um, uh, and what 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 I wonder about is, you know, they didn't have computers like this in in World War II, but if, if should should everybody be a little bit worried that this guy was able to do what he did, more so than what he did after he did it? I mean. Um, should it be that easy for somebody to to break into the uh, the U.S. government's computers? I mean, uh, you know, what if this is 1945 and he was looking around for the atomic bomb? You know. Well, unfortunately, we have a long history of giving up secrets, right? So uh, I think that that's a big problem in general. But yeah, I mean, he wouldn't have been able to do this without the help of then Bradley Manning, now Chelsea Manning, mm-hmm. who uh, he worked with and who had who was the person uh, who had access to the, these you know, these files and, and, and these, this cache of information. So, um, that, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, so, so he didn't do it on his own. He couldn't hack in on his own. He had to have help from the inside. And, and, it, and that person was prosecuted. I get a little tripped up, not sure what to say, she or he or what's going on. Yeah. But, you know, uh, <laughs> if, 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 if she, now she, was, uh, was prosecuted. And I think um, 35 years, you know, Obama commuted the sentence. But I'm not sure why he shouldn't face a similar sort of justice since they worked together and they were doing basically the same thing. Yeah, uh, it's, it, he was Bradley Manning, and now she is Chelsea Manning. And I, well, I think what's good about it, David, is that when they make the movie about this, the whole sex change thing will kind of be a nice little side story that'll make the movie a little bit more interesting. It's got multiple narratives, yes. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, uh, so the, the the conflict here is uh, is there a conflict? I guess I should say for journalists. Um, and you know, where do you draw the line on freedom of speech and espionage, or should that even be the media's job? And and how do you think most of the media are going to uh, react to all this? Well, they used to like the guy until you know they they believe that he helped Donald Trump win the election with the DNC hacks of John Podesta in twenty sixteen. Um, to me, there's, there's a pretty clear line. Um, you know, having been a reporter before, you know, I, I want secret information. That's the way that, that propels journalism. And it's in many ways a good thing because, you know, we have to keep an eye on the powerful and the media is supposed to do that. Now, do they do it right every time? No. Are they corrupt sometimes? I think they are. Are they activists? Are they partisan? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, I think it's really important to have that, you know, fail safe, you know, fail safe, that, you know, that, sort of competing power with, you know, to, to look at what's going on in government. That said, once you involve yourself in actual, you know, espionage and you're telling someone to break the law and you're helping them crack codes, you're now no longer a journalist. You're not just disseminating information. Someone whistleblower is not just handing you something. You're actually involved in breaking the law and stealing things. And, uh, 
and and then you just disseminate all the raw data. You don't even go through it as a professional and say, this is important, this might get someone killed, et cetera, et cetera. You just drop the whole thing, um, maybe even give it to the Russians and the enemies of the United States. And I think that then you're not really a journalist anymore. You're an activist. Yeah, and I, I just fine. wonder, I mean, uh, again, going back to uh, World War II, I, I try to come up with an analogy. Um, you know, if if you're a reporter and you discover that uh, the the landing on the beaches of Normandy uh, will be, be taking place um, on June 6th, and you find that out on June the 3rd, and you're a reporter, uh, if you want to be totally objective, uh, you report it. But if you want to protect, if, if, you're, if you're considering yourself a, um, a citizen and first, then you don't report it. And this isn't obviously that isn't this wasn't that big of a deal, but it could be at some point. Well, no, I actually think it was it was a big deal because um, we draw. I mean, it wasn't like a big deal like Normandy, but it, yeah. it was a big deal in the sense that there were a lot. There's a lot, tons of sensitive information out there, and frankly, some of it was useful for people to see and, and needed to be seen. I think at least. So it's it's not so cut and dry all the time. And what you're saying is, you know, it's a big. It's a big problem for journalists quite often. I think with like Normandy or something, you'd say, is there really news value in this? People are going to die, you know, if I let everyone know what's going on. So I'll, I'll save this story and I'll, I'll write about it afterwards, you know, or, or whatever. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's something that journalists go through all the time. But um, in this case, it was clear to me. I mean, we used to hang spies, right? I mean, right. Um, we probably wouldn't do that anymore, but it's still dangerous. We'd still have people around the world whose identities are, you know, secret, and I don't think he redacted anything in these papers that they dropped. So, um, and I could be wrong about that, but I don't think they did, so it's it's dangerous. As far as, like, the DNC hacked emails, it seems to me that Assange just published them. Someone gave it to him. Maybe some other country gave it to him. I don't know. For that, I wouldn't want, you know, I don't know that he should be prosecuted and extradited for something like that it's, it's it's different when you're talking about top secret documents i think so and uh, he, he hacked john podesta's email some of them were pretty nasty and uh did not portray him or many people in his circle as nice people but do you think it had a major effect on the vote i don't think so i mean the people are, are mad get mad when i say that but i mean yeah. I think that uh, that was more of an internal fight within the Democratic Party. I'm not sure anyone who was going to vote for Hillary said, boy, you know, John Podesta's not a nice guy. I'm going to go for Trump now. Yeah. It just seems very unlikely. It's certainly not enough to change an election. I just don't buy it. Not that I think it was okay to hack someone's email in that way. I actually think that that was unethical. Um, but what are you going to do once it's made public knowledge? There's a lot of stuff. The, the uh, Pentagon Papers in 1971, I mean, it was secret data, the New York Times... I mean, the Washington Post published that. They just made a movie about it. The right. Post, Tom Hanks, they celebrate them and, and, and portray them as brave people. So uh, I think journalists sometimes, you know, who, you know, they, they don't exactly know who to celebrate and who not. I guess it depends who it hurts and who it doesn't hurt. And I, I can't remember, um, was that The Post? Is that the name of the movie? The, yeah, the, it was actually a good movie. Well done. Yeah. Um, uh, Tom Hanks was great in it, and uh, it was good. But I do remember, uh, I don't remember what specifically it was, but I do remember that the movie, in its portrayal of their heroism, got a major thing wrong. I can't remember what it was, mm. but it, 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 they uh, they either exaggerated it, or which movies tend to do, or omitted mm. something that you know, help them tell the kind of story that they wanted it to be rather than what it actually was. That happens Yeah, I mean, at least it showed them sort of wrestling with, uh, you know, the, the impact of what they were doing and if they should do it or not and et cetera, where, I mean, that's at least what journalists are supposed to do. But, uh, you know, and I don't know how you feel about this, but for the last two years, journalists have been taking illegal documents and illegal leaks from the government and using them to frame their own narrative about what's going on in the world with Donald Trump and collusion and things like that. And so I don't know that I completely trust them either with that information, but I'd rather have let them have the freedom than not, for the most part. You know, I think it's important. We're talking to David Harsani. He's uh, the senior, uh, a senior editor at The Federalist. Um, and I, I, I just I have to ask you this because I've talked about this. Uh, I covered sports for a long time. And uh, th there was an old baseball writer named Charlie Feeney who covered the Pirates for a long time. And um, he... When when if a if a manager or anybody 
would start off a sentence to him by saying, this is off the record, he would say, ah, nothing's off the record. <laughs> because he thought that he was used too often by people who told him things off the record that they knew he was going to find out anyway, and that they were actually trying to preempt him from doing the story by telling them off the record first before he got it on his own. Is there a lot of that going on in Washington? Yeah, there's a ton of that going on, but... You know, uh, be, having been that kind of journalist now, I write opinion, but, yeah. you know, I think background information is important. Having people tell you things about what's going on, even though you can't print, and gives you more perspective and context sometimes. So it's definitely useful. And sometimes people have to be anonymous because, you know, they'll get in a lot of trouble. But what's going on now is that everyone's anonymous all the time, basically. And, and, um, and we don't know who it is, meaning a lot of times I'm very suspicious that one of these reporters is talking to some low, low-level staffer about something, you know, mm-hmm. who, who've heard something and then they exaggerate what's going on and it's not real. Or they're lying about their sources in the sense that they're just like the secretary, not the secretary, sorry, the administrative assistant and yeah. the boss tell them and that's their two sources. So I think that's dangerous and, and a bad way to, to do reporting because you, you, you're easily used. If someone called me with the perfect story, that sounded perfect to my ears, I would immediately be suspicious that they were just using me. And I don't think journalists are cynical or skeptical enough of the, of the people who are giving them the information. So are there, uh, do you think the rules are the same now as they always have been as far as uh, uh, when to trust an anonymous source or when to trust a source who wants to remain anonymous? Well, I never, I didn't hear that anyone changed the rules of journalism, but yeah. uh, I don't feel like, I don't feel like that, especially over the last two years, people are, are, are following those ethics and rules of journalism as much. I think there's been a lot of corruption of that, frankly. So I would say the answer to that is no. Yeah, I mean, I know that the rules are the rules, but there are, there are outlets that will go with um, uh, maybe you know, one source out of workforce, but others will say it won't, won't let their reporter, the editor won't allow the reporter to uh, go with a story unless he has he or she has at least two different sources, sometimes three. Yeah, I mean, there were so many mistakes over the last two years with Russia collusion mm-hmm. and Donald Trump. And here's the thing, they all skewed in the same direction. All of them were against Trump every single time. Oh, that yeah. means either that the newsrooms are susceptible to being fooled by people who are partisan, or they themselves are so partisan that they don't, that they're easily fooled. And, um, and that's what happens. It's almost impossible to be wrong in the same way all the time. You have to, like, work at that, you know? So yeah. um, I think that that is indicative of a real deep problem there. I, I've come up with a, uh, word, a description for it. I call it wishful thinking journalism. And that's where there's a lot of that going on. Um, yeah, you work, you work backwards from a predetermined yeah. outcome, right? And then you find the people to tell you what you want to hear. Hey, I got a little less than two minutes, and I wanted to ask you, you have a book coming out, um, or if it's out already, uh, and it's called the uh, it's called First Freedom: A Ride Through America's Enduring History with the Gun from Revolution to Today. Tell me what that. I mean, I think I get what it's about, but can you be a little bit specific about what's in the book? Sure, it's it's not really a political book. You know, I felt like we were arguing about guns all the time, but very rarely do people understand why gun culture even exists. You know, what's the history of it? And uh, so I wrote a history, you know, a sort of accessible history about the culture of guns in America and why. It's so important to so many people because I keep hearing, I kept hearing people just making stuff up basically about the history of guns. So I go from, you know, first Americans until now and, and, and give them that history so they can have an overview of how important it was to so many people and why Americans have a sort of unique and weird relationship with the gun. I have uh, exactly a minute and I'm up against a hard break, so I don't want to have to interrupt you. But I sure. just want to ask you, what did you get into the wording of the Second Amendment, what the founders intended, or we're not, didn't you go in that direction? I do. I, do, I talk about that. I talk about the debate over the Second Amendment and what it was really about and why the wording is a little bit uh, confusing and what those things meant in those days. Well, I will. I would like to have you on again to talk to you about that, yeah. and especially, especially the word uh, well-equipped. Uh, uh-huh. or well, well-regulated, well I mean, well because that's what it meant in those days, I think, was equipped. And uh, it had nothing to do with government regulation, but maybe I'm wrong. You can tell me. But I appreciate you being on, David. Thanks a lot. Anytime. Thank you. Okay. That's David Harsani of uh, The Federalist. Great job uh, he did there to clear up what's going on with Assange. And I do want to talk to him about that book. We'll do that down the road. We'll be back. Stick around. Stick around. 
With SRN News, I'm Greg Clugston in Washington. Ohio's governor has signed a pro-life bill into law. It's called the Heartbeat Bill and bans abortions after the first detectable fetal heartbeat. Republican Governor Mike DeWine followed through on his pledge to sign the measure, which passed the state legislature yesterday. WikiLeaks founder Julian Assange was arrested in London and hauled into court today. British Prime Minister Theresa May says Julian Assange was not arrested just for skipping bail in the UK. Arrested for breach of bail after nearly seven years in the Ecuadorian embassy. He has also been arrested in relation to an extradition request from the United States authorities. During White House talks with the visiting president of South Korea, President Trump today said he's hopeful of working out a good deal with North Korea's leader, The two men discussed nuclear diplomacy in the Oval Office. Wall Street, the Dow, off by 14 points. This is SRN News. G'day, I'm Scott from Plug-In Pest Free. I want to personally thank all my Plug-In Pest Free customers who have taken the time out to call, write, and who have left messages to thank me for ridding their homes and businesses of unwanted rodent and pest problems. So from me to you, I thank you. Plug-in pest free is the only scientifically tested and, more importantly, consumer-proven electromagnetic pest management system since 1995. Why put up with those annoying rodents and pests any longer? Plug-in pest free is 100% chemical-free, making it your safest bet to manage your rodent and pest problems around your family and pets. With a 60-day money-back guarantee, you have nothing to lose. So order yours today at gopestfree.com. Use promo code SAVE20 for 20% off and free shipping. That's gopestfree.com, promo code SAVE20. Don't spray and regret, plug in and forget. Gopestfree.com today. Dennis Prager says it's all about your moral compass. They hate Trump so they can lie. That is the way in which their moral compass functions. I can lie because I am a leftist and I have higher principles than truth. Getting rid of a president I don't like is a higher principle than telling anything true. That is their view. They believe what I have just said. The Dennis Prager Show, weekdays at noon, right before Sebastian Gorka at 3 on AM 1250. The Answer. You're an insurance agent. You're also an entrepreneur looking to grow. And what better way to grow than by being your own boss? Owning your own Farmers Insurance Agency has been called one of the best small business opportunities in America. With a nationally respected brand, award-winning training, and your personal experience business coach, your opportunity to grow is unlimited. No franchise fees required. Visit BeAFarmersAgent.com and start growing. We are farmers. Bum, 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 bum. Here is your new... New Pella Lifestyle window when open. Here it is. Closed. The New Pella Lifestyle Series is the number one performing wood window and patio door for sound control, energy efficiency, and value. Keep the outside noise outside. More peace and better rest for your family. Exceptional noise control for a quieter home. For a limited time, get 50% off installation and 12 months no payments, no interest. Call 888-77-PELLA. PellaPittsburgh.com. Have you heard the crack of the bat? The cheers of the crowd? Have you seen the smiles on the faces of the players as they take the field? I'm not talking about the Pirates. I'm talking about what's happening in Moon Township that can only be described as a miracle. This is John Steigerwald. With the help of Pirates Charities and people like yourself, the Miracle League of Moon Township has broken ground on a brand new ball field and adaptive playground where athletes with special needs can play regardless of their ability. At miraclesinmoon.org, you can see the stunning plans for the 9,500-square-foot playground and state-of-the-art ADA-compliant restroom facility with showers, wave technology, multi-level fountains and sinks, mechanical changing tables, and more. It's incredible. Our goal? To raise the remaining funds they need to bring it home by first pitch this September. Check it out at miraclesinmoon.org slash donate and make your tax-deductible gift today. That's miraclesinmoon.org slash donate. This message paid for by Robinson Town Center, a Zamias Properties entity. Stuck in traffic? We've got the answer. We've got some issues on the Parkway West this afternoon. Inbound, there's a crash off to the shoulder at Robinson Town Center. Expected delay approaching that. And very heavy inbound from 79 all the way to the Fort Pitt Tunnel. Now on the Parkway East, that's really busy outbound. Boulevard of the Allies to Edgewood Swissvale. Inbound slows down from Bates Street to the Fort Pitt Bridge. And we also see some delays outbound at 65 from 19 to the McKees Rocks Bridge. That's a look at traffic. I'm Jenny Robinson. AM 1250, The Answer. Weather. 
Mostly cloudy and quite mild tonight, the low 56 for tomorrow. Mostly cloudy, breezy and warm. A couple of showers and thunderstorms will be around through the early evening hours. High tomorrow, 72. Becoming partly cloudy tomorrow night, low 50 degrees. Then for Saturday, a mix of clouds and sunshine. Highs right around 70 degrees. With your AccuWeather forecast, I'm meteorologist Danielle Niddle. You're listening to the John Steigerwald Show on AM 1250. The answer. Well, this hasn't been a good year for the Catholic Church. Maybe you noticed that. Hasn't been a real good year for the Pope. He's taken a lot of criticism for the way he and the Church have handled the child abuse program. Pope Francis has a problem that most popes don't have. There's a former pope hanging around. And he put out a 6,000-word letter with some strong opinions on why the Catholic Church has a major problem with abuse. Joshua McElwee is the Vatican correspondent for the National Catholic Reporter. He joins us now. Joshua, thanks for being here. Yeah, happy to be here. All the way from Rome, I should say. We're we're used to having uh, ex-presidents around to comment on what a current president is doing, but uh, this is kind of a new thing with popes, isn't it? Yeah, it's quite unusual. Pope Benedict, who retired from the papacy in 2013, has written this long letter coming out uh, overnight last night about the clergy sexual abuse crisis in the Catholic Church. Just a few weeks after Pope Francis, his, his successor, had a big meeting, a big summit here at, at the Vatican with all the presidents of the World's Bishops' Conferences, uh, Pope Francis really focused on the concrete actions, the structural reform that needs to happen in the Church in order to protect children and prevent cover-up. And Pope Benedict took, took a bit of a different tack, talking about uh, kind of societal problems, the sexual revolution, and the lack of comfortability about talking about God in today's society. So it's quite different. Yeah, uh, you write for the National Catholic Reporter. That is not a, 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 um, a publication of the Vatican, correct? It's independent? Yeah, we're an independent publication founded in the 1960s at the Second Vatican Council. Um, basically to bring the tools of journalism to the church to be independent reporters. Okay. So I just wanted to make sure that we you know, knew where, exactly where you were coming from as far as you're, this is not a, uh, an organ of the, of the church necessarily. Um, no, we're, we're completely independent. Okay. So it was a 6,000-word uh, letter that Pope Benedict uh, put out. Was it uh, all about clergy abuse? It was almost exclusively about clergy abuse. Uh, the ex-pope apparently was writing for a magazine in Bavaria, where he is from, uh, for Catholic clergy. But then it came out uh, overnight in several kind of more right-wing Catholic publications in the U.S. and around the world. He talks about uh, clergy abuse in the kind of in the realm of the changes since the 1960s. He blames the sexual revolution for its changes in sexual morality, and then also the reforms of the Church uh, from the 1960s forward, uh, kind of an odd claims, uh, especially after Pope Francis' focus on the need for the Church to kind of address the issue more structurally. Yeah, uh, he blamed it on the 60s and sex, drugs, and rock and roll, basically. Uh, Is anybody at the Vatican buying that theory? Well, what's kind of most interesting is that there's no template for this. We've never really had an ex-pope, at least not for the last 800 years or so. So it wasn't clear to me that the Vatican even knew that Pope Benedict had done this or that there had been some kind of foresight in how to handle the situation. Um, But certainly a lot of the figures and numbers of the studies of sexual abuse have shown that really this has been going on for centuries. It's a problem of structure of bishops who have too much power or don't have any accountability system. And it's a bit of an odd claim for the former pontiff to be blaming the 1960s. Yeah, um, and so, it's as you say, it's kind of an interesting dynamic because this is a former pope, and we haven't seen one of those, uh, uh, we haven't seen a living former pope uh, for 800 years, uh, still dealing with things uh, that pertaining to the church. Um, so, is this... I mean, back here in the States, we have Barack Obama criticizing Donald Trump, and some people will say that that's just not, um, we'll, we'll tell you that it, that's bad, um, it's, it's, it's impolite, let's just put it that way, that the president is bad form. A former president should kind of stay out of it. Uh, so what's going to be the fallout of this, of, of having a former pope around to comment on what the current pope is doing? 
Yeah, I think we should be clear. Pope Benedict didn't directly criticize Pope Francis. He thanked him, actually, for his leadership in the Church. But, he, but Pope Benedict certainly took a different tack than Pope Francis has been taking, and people are noticing that. Um, and I think, I've been talking to some theologians, they've expressed some concern about this dynamic of a living former Pope kind of expressing himself so freely. When Pope Benedict resigned in 2013, he said he was kind of uh, kind of escape from public view. He wouldn't be giving interviews. He would basically, he said, would be just praying for the new pope and for the church. And he's more or less kept to that, except at, on occasion. Um, and some theologians are wondering kind of why he's chosen this moment. There's also the question of the fact that he's 92 years old. He's known to be quite frail. It's kind of odd. We're wondering if there might have, he might have gotten some help in drafting this, or kind of who was advising him to take this measure now. Yeah, and you say that the um, the letter was published by right-wing Catholic websites. Um, could that be who you're referring to as possibly helping him with this? I don't know about that, but the question would be kind of who helped the Pope uh, know to go to those websites to publish this letter. His main person who cares for him is an archbishop named Georg Ganschwein, uh, who was the prefect of the papal household, or is the prefect of the papal household for pa- Pope Francis, and was also that for Pope Benedict. He plays an interesting role where he still is kind of serving both popes. Um, and we're wondering a bit, you know, how he was advising Pope Benedict on this letter, if he might have arranged for the opportunity to write, and then if he might have also arranged then to have it published in English and other languages around the world. Uh, just so I'm curious, what exactly does right-wing mean when you're talking about a, a, the Catholic Church and a publication or a website? And, and is there a wide divide, as there is here, between right and left politically in the United States or uh, in a, or in other places? Yeah, broadly speaking, the right-left um, dynamic doesn't exactly apply to the Catholic Church. People fall in so many different places and so many different on um, a wide spectrum but uh, these are the same outlets that published a letter from a former archbishop named Pigano um, a year ago. Uh, it was widely critical of Pope Francis, and some said it was quite unfairly critical that was describing the aspect of the clergy abuse crisis that took place, for example, under Pope John Paul II uh, 20 years ago to Pope Francis. And so it's quite interesting that these same outlets who fairly openly attacked Pope Francis are now having this letter from Pope Benedict. And it's, it would seem to me that this would, the Church obviously is in a, in a tough position here because uh, the, of the need for th- this problem to be uh, resolved and for the, for the purification of the Church, as somebody put it. Um, but at the same time, is there, ha- there would seem to be um, an inclination to protect the former popes and former bishops and cardinals because they are popes, bishops, and cardinals, and and you know they still hold a position, and they and you you don't want to um, diminish those positions in general by by trashing the you know you know what I'm saying here by by trashing the the uh, the, the past people who held those positions. Yeah, I think the fact of having a living former pope has put Pope Francis in a different. Um uh, situation than any of his predecessors in that he can't really, out of deference, can't say anything that would might be interpreted as criticism of his predecessor who is still alive. There's also the issue that uh, some of the questions about the clergy sexual abuse crisis, for example, about the appointment of Cardinal McCarrick, who was in Washington, uh, or you know the Legionaries of Christ, one of the uh, whose founder was one of the worst sexual uh, abusers in history. Uh, fall under the purview of Pope John Paul II, who is now a saint. Um, and of course, Pope Benedict was, at the time, Cardinal Ratzinger, who was one of Pope John Paul II's highest advisors. Um, so there's a, a very complicated dynamic for Pope Francis about what he wants to say publicly or, or what, what might be interpreted as criticism of his direct predecessor. Yeah, and so where where is this um, this crisis right now for the Church? I mean, it would seem to be that they're they're in the middle of it still. But is it are they gaining any ground on on cleaning it up and not just cleaning the, it, it up the the problem up itself, but re reclaiming the image, rehabilitating the image? I guess is a better word. 
yeah, it's quite clear that Pope Francis has made has made this a, a very serious focus of his papacy. In February, he had a first of its kind summit with all the heads of the national bishops conferences and with leaders of many of the religious orders around the world. They met at the Vatican for four days, at which the Pope made very clear that he wanted them to take this very seriously. He promised that concrete actions were coming, and a couple weeks ago, uh, one of those concrete actions was manifested. The Pope issued the first overarching child protection policy for Vatican City State, um, pretty broad, uh, basically charging all staff of the Vatican City State and all the Vatican diplomats around the world and all different embassies to report sexual abuse, um, and that they could be prosecuted in the Vatican uh, Tribunal if they did not do so. Uh, we're waiting now for more measures. We're hearing that more things are going to come, but we're not clear uh, quite on the one yet. Um, uh, we're talking to Joshua McElwee. He's the Vatican correspondent at the National Catholic Reporter, and he's in Rome. What is the? Uh, I don't, how long have you been uh, covering the Church for uh, as a journalist? For about a decade with my newspaper, National Catholic Reporter. Uh, just changes that you've seen in your perception of your own perception of what goes on in the church and what you think people perceive now compared to what it was going on when you started 10 years ago or so. Mm. Well, clergy sexual abuse is a, an issue the church has been really struggling to deal with for a long time. My newspaper started reporting on the issue in 1985. We were one of the first to do so. Um, we continued reporting on it in the 1990s, and then when the scandal broke more widely in 2002 in Boston, uh, we've always identified that one of the main issues was accountability for bishops who protect uh, abusers or who move them around in different uh, parishes. Uh, in the Catholic Church, a bishop is only really accountable to the Pope, and of course in a church of 1.2 billion people, that's a lot for one Pope to handle. Um, so we've been trying to point out need, the need for more accountability for measures of way, ways that uh, lay people or ordinary Catholics can report bishops who they think are doing something wrong. This seems to be kind of the uh, the, the big topic at the moment. Um, Pope Francis has spoken about this issue. Uh, three years ago he appointed a, a first-of-its-kind commission at the Vatican to advise him on how to handle clergy sexual abuse. And now it seems we're going to be seeing in the future possibly new proposals for how bishops could be held accountable, what kind of process could be put in place. Um, and for many Catholics, this has always been the missing link, especially after 2002 when the U.S. bishops put in a whole bunch of procedures to handle abuse. Um, that particular issue wasn't handled, and uh, that's, uh, for many Catholics, a big, uh, a big downfall. And um, it's you know it's it's always uh, been said that the, the cover up is usually worse than the crime. Um, what's the what's the effort being done to either bring some of the people involved in the cover up to justice or prevent future cover ups? Uh, is it is it possible to to um, uncover everything? <laughs> Well, the difficulty is that the Catholic Church is so global, it's uh, and it's so diverse in different countries. In the U.S. now, we've been dealing with it pretty straightforwardly since 2002. The U.S. bishops adopted their procedures, and what we're learning about, for example, with the, the Pennsylvania Grand Jury Report, is mostly about things in the past, what happened before 2002 when the procedures were put in place, horrendous, awful things um, that the Church did not disclose, but for the most part, uh, the procedures seem to be working. Clergy are being evaluated. There's procedures in process for how to report them and how to remove them from ministry when they've done something wrong. And so it would seem the big question around the world is, are those procedures being put in place in other places that, are, that haven't had the experience of the United States? And if not, how quickly can that be done? And how quickly can the Pope or his advisors evaluate when bishops aren't acting properly? The non-Catholics, I notice, are quick to suggest that one way to solve the problem would be to allow priests to be married. That doesn't seem to me uh, something that's likely to happen, but do you get the feeling at all that there's any movement toward that? Yeah, whenever I ask church officials about those issues, I always go to studies that, that show that, or that they claim, show that celibacy is not 
a direct link to sexual abuse, that uh, voluntary celibacy can be fruitful as long as, you know, the person is evaluated, that it's good for their life, that they're checking in with themselves and their superiors about how they're doing. Uh, but for many lay Catholics, especially in the United States, this is really a question. They really want a more open conversation, and that's something that Pope Francis has actually encouraged. Uh, unlike uh, Pope Benedict or Pope John Paul II, he's been much more in favor of open conversations. When he's called the bishops to Rome, he's told them to speak frankly, to leave nothing on the, uh, on the table, um, kind of to speak their mind. Um, and one occasion we're looking forward to is the Pope has called the Synod, which is a special meeting of bishops around the world for October on the Amazon region, all the bishops from the Amazon and in South America. And some of them have said that they think they will bring up the issue of voluntary celibacy in the scope of the fact that there's a real priest shortage in South America, in the rainforest, and in the really uh, spread out areas. And maybe uh, they might recommend uh, the ordaining of married men, kind of older married men who are known to be trustworthy and, and the church could kind of entrust ministry to. Hey, I appreciate it, Joshua. I'm out of time, but uh, thanks for your help on this, and uh, it's good to get somebody from the inside and actually from Rome. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, good. I hope it was helpful. It was. Thank you. And we'll All be right, you take care. Okay, we'll be right back. Are you about to pay double for new windows, siding, or doors? If you haven't called Windows R Us, you just might. Many companies are overcharging area homes and businesses nearly double. With over 50 years in home remodeling, Windows R Us is more than a window company. They're the area's premier exterior replacement company for roofs, gutters, siding doors, and, of course, windows. Windows R Us will never overcharge. You'll love their no-pressure approach, straightforward pricing, and the fastest turnaround in the business. Right now, get zero interest for 12 months and up to $20,000 on new vinyl, fiberglass, or wood windows. With options like triple-pane glass and names like Pella, no hidden fees or surprises ever. Your no-loophole lifetime warranty covers everything, including glass breakage, at no additional cost. Mention AM 1250 with your free estimate for an exclusive 10% off. Why pay double? Visit the area's premier exterior replacement company, windowsrspittsburgh.com. Have you heard the crack of the bat, the cheers of the crowd? Have you seen the smiles on the faces of the players as they take the field? I'm not talking about the Pirates. I'm talking about what's happening in Moon Township that can only be described as a miracle. This is John Steigerwald. With the help of Pirates Charities and people like yourself, the Miracle League of Moon Township has broken ground on a brand new ball field and adaptive playground where athletes with special needs can play regardless of their ability. At miraclesinmoon.org, you can see the stunning plans for the 9,500-square-foot playground and state-of-the-art ADA-compliant restroom facility with showers, wave technology, multi-level fountains and sinks, mechanical changing tables, and more. It's incredible. Our goal? To raise the remaining funds they need to bring it home by first pitch this September. Check it out at miraclesinmoon.org slash donate and make your tax-deductible gift today. That's miraclesinmoon.org slash donate. This message paid for by Robinson Town Center, a Zamias Properties entity. Getting close to retirement? Experienced a nice Trumponomics bump in your portfolio? Well, we know the market goes up, and unfortunately, we also know it goes down. Don't risk your retirement to market whims. Learn how you can lock in those gains today by spending time with the team at Marley Financial. Todd Marley and the experts at Marley Financial can help you design a retirement plan that is bulletproof against the market's ups and downs. The team at Marley Financial uses a multitude of different techniques to make sure that you have a retirement plan that is tax-friendly, stable, and worry-free. Oh, and speaking of taxes? Did you know that Marley Financial can handle that too? With all the changes in the tax laws, be sure you're taking advantage of the best possible deduction and make sure you know what adjustments to make for your overall financial picture going forward. Call today for a no-obligation consultation to see just how for 25 years the clients at Marley Financial have never had a retirement plan fail. Call 724-884-1496 today. 724-884-1496 or visit them at MarleyFG.com. G'day, I'm Scott from Plug-In Pest-Free. I want to personally thank all my Plug-In Pest-Free customers who have taken the time out to call, write, and who have left messages to thank me for ridding their homes and businesses of unwanted rodent and pest problems. So from me to you, I thank you. Plug-In Pest-Free is the only scientifically tested and, more importantly, consumer-proven electromagnetic pest management system since 1995. Why put up with those annoying rodents and pests any longer? 
Plug-in Pest Free is 100% chemical free, making it your safest bet to manage your rodent and pest problems around your family and pets. With a 60-day money-back guarantee, you have nothing to lose. So order yours today at gopestfree.com. Use promo code SAVE20 for 20% off and free shipping. That's gopestfree.com, promo code SAVE20. Don't spray and regret, plug in and forget. Gopestfree.com today. This is the John Stacker Walt Show on AM 1250 and FM 92.5. The answer. Well, we like to finish up with stupidity when we can, and it's not hard to find. And found this on the Blaze just a few minutes ago. Um, they're coming for Little Red Riding Hood and Sleeping Beauty now. This is in Spain, so it's not here yet. But this, the gender uh, stupidity is international. Um. So an elementary school in Barcelona removed more than 200 children's books from its library because they perpetuate sexist stereotypes. Uh, the two, two books to receive the acts include Little Red Riding Hood and Sleeping Beauty. Books for learning the alphabet, colors, and habits were also reportedly discovered to perpetuate sexist stereotypes. So learning the alphabet. The elementary school uh, is governed by the Catalan uh, government and noted that other schools in the city are also taking inventory of potentially problematic books as well. And the newspaper reported that at least 30% of the books in the school were considered, are you ready, toxic. What a great word that is, huh? 10% were written from a gender perspective. Can you imagine that? What is going on? I mean, this. I mean, it's 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 almost gotten boring because it's every day and it's just so stupid. But it's it's stupid and and nobody's doing anything about it. And more and more people are apparently signing on to the stupidity. And, and what is the percentage of of people, uh, kids, that actually have any issue at all with what gender they are? What, what's the percentage? I've never really been able to get a, a really good number, but I think it's like, you know, less than 1% or something like that. And why should the whole world be turned upside down because of this? I don't know. I keep asking the question and I don't get any answers. Maybe I'll find one tomorrow. See you then. Bye. The John Steigerwall Show is a production of AM 1250, The Answer, and Salem Media Group. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.